Well, Merry Christmas. Uh, We've had a wonderful morning already of worship. I appreciate Matt and Dylan and our team uh, leading us today. I hope uh, you're excited about this season uh, of Christmas and celebrating with family, enjoying the time. And Christmas is often about waiting. Uh, We When we're in school, we get out of school and we have to wait until Christmas Day uh, to open our presents or Christmas Eve, depending on how your family dynamic is, and and we wait. And and we wait in traffic. We wait for someone at the airport, a loved one, to to come. And in the old days, uh, pre-9-11, you could actually wait right at the gate. You just go through security, hang out at the gate until they came off the plane and you walk uh, out together. Now they regulate, uh, relegate you uh, to baggage claim, right? You have to just stand down there in the dregs of the airport uh, waiting on your loved one. And so you, you wait, you wait, or you sit in your car for 30 minutes at Intercontinental uh, hoping the police officer doesn't tell you to keep moving. We wait, wait. If you're a man and you're married, there was a day when you stood at the head of an aisle and you waited for doors to open, uh, for your bride to, to come down and, and walk out. You waited with anticipation, excited. You wait for your kids to, to grow up and you wait for them to go off to college, hoping they will go off to college. You wait, you wait, we wait. A lot of our life is about waiting. And the reality of the waiting is a, a common theme in the scripture. There's a a sense of expectation, of of waiting. And when it comes to to the birth of Jesus, that expectation lasted for centuries, Uh, not just a few hours or a few weeks or a few months. For for years and years and years, there was a waiting. But there was an expectation. And that's what waiting is all about in the Scripture. It's not waiting and wishful thinking. No, there's a waiting with an expectation. We call that hope that we, we know something will happen, but it's not going to happen today. And so we wait with expectation. And today we're going to look at two people uh, who are supporting characters, if you will. If, if we were to make a movie uh, about the birth of Jesus, uh, these two characters would be supporting actors and actresses. Uh, if on the credits, uh, they would probably be like number 10 and 11, probably they would be together on the screen. They wouldn't get their own. They wouldn't be a a Vin Diesel, a a, Dwayne the Rock Johnson type. Uh, They wouldn't get full billing. They they would be an also-ran, like they get paired together just ahead of the innkeeper, right, in the Jesus story. But they're important supporting characters because they help us understand how we fit into the story of Jesus, how we fit into the, the narrative of the birth of the Savior, that he has a great plan for all people, and we're part of all people. He has a great plan for all people. And so if you got a Bible today, I want to invite you to Luke chapter 2. We're actually going to read a passage that comes after Jesus was born. And in Luke chapter 2, Mary and Joseph are, are doing what they're supposed to do. They're, they're following the Jewish law to, to present Jesus in the temple. 
They're following what God's command is, particularly for a firstborn child. And so in Luke 2, beginning in verse 22, we see what happens in that moment. It says this, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem. So he was born in Bethlehem, and they've taken him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice, offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents, that's Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Then there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and praying night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. So Jesus is brought to the temple. And imagine if you're a parent today and you have your firstborn child because we all act weird when our firstborn child is young. Like when you're a first-time parent, you do crazy things to protect that child. So imagine you walk into the temple, or maybe here, First Baptist Friendswood, you walk in with your firstborn child, and all of a sudden, as you walk in, this old guy comes and snatches him up and takes him from you. Some of you moms would have punched him. Like, you don't touch my kid without my permission, right? That's kind of a general rule. And ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know that rule, you're welcome. <laughs> and so here they are in this moment, this old, devout sort of worker in the temple has taken their son and he has him. I'm sure they weren't quite, they didn't know what quite to do but then he starts talking. And he starts celebrating the goodness of God. 
Then this moment he realizes, because the Spirit of God had come upon him, he realizes in this moment, this child is the consolation of Israel. And consolation is a big word that we get the word console from, right? You console someone. You have compassion for them. You, you stand near them and by them in their hurt and their pain. And that's what he's declaring about Jesus, that here is the one. This child has come to console my entire nation, to have compassion on my people, to redeem my people from their sin and brokenness from their bondage. Here he is. And Simeon was promised that he would not die until he saw the Christ, the Messiah, the Holy One of God. And so now, here he is in this moment, awkwardly holding this baby that he knows to be the Messiah. And he declares to the Lord, I'm good now, you can take me. He's so excited. He's so thrilled. This is the greatest blessing of his entire life. The greatest blessing of his life is to come face to face with Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Holy One, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. And here he is. It's a wonderful reminder to us that Jesus is our greatest blessing. He is our greatest blessing. Knowing him is the greatest blessing that we can have. And Simeon, in this moment, experiences the presence of redemption, the presence of the Savior. And he declares to the Lord, now I can depart in peace. Now I can go because I've experienced the fulfillment of your promise, God. You did not disappoint. I waited a long time. I waited for decades knowing that you wouldn't disappoint me and you didn't. I got to see the blessing of God. And so now I can go. I can go in praise and worship and I come to this child offering my praise and worship because, God, you are worthy. And this child is you in the flesh, God in the flesh. Now imagine this scene here. Mary and Joseph are some nobodies. And when Jesus was born, nobody paid attention except for a couple of dirty shepherds who came from the field. Nobody else in Bethlehem was paying attention. They take him to Jerusalem and no one is paying attention. No one except an old guy in the temple. Nobody. There's going to be a few wise men from the east later on that make an appearance. And then the king is going to Pay attention because he's going to send out a declaration that everybody under a certain age should be eliminated because he's scared. But in this moment, there's one guy praising Jesus. One guy. One 
senior adult man praising Jesus. It's a beautiful reminder to me that in this season, Jesus is worthy of our praise. Even when no one else is, even when no one else is paying attention to the Lord, I am going to lean into Jesus. I'm going to lean into my relationship. I'm going to praise him because he is my salvation. Simeon is so excited about Jesus. No one else is excited except Simeon. It's weird. Like, have you ever seen an older person get excited? Yeah. It's kind of fun. And and if you had one of those moments where no one else is excited but you are, like you're thrilled, you're you're over the top, you're over the moon, like you want everyone to know how awesome whatever it is you're experiencing is, and they're all like, calm down. Like, cool your jets, bring it down a notch. Like, you're embarrassing me. Do this at home. No, he, he's thrilled because Jesus is worthy of our praise. And so, whether you're young or old today, Jesus is worthy of praise. Jesus is worthy of praise. Because he knows, Simeon knows in this moment that salvation has come. That Jesus is the light for the Gentiles. Oh, by the way, that's you and me. And he's a glory for the nation of Israel. Just a quick reminder, Jesus is Jewish. That's why we need to pray for Israel. Jesus is Jewish. And he is a light to the world. And he's a glory for his own nation, but they rejected him. They rejected him. And Simeon here is excited to declare the truth of who he is. Jesus has come as salvation, and from his birth, he is Savior. He is the author of our salvation, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. He's the author of our salvation, even from birth. And Simeon is declaring that truth in this moment to his mother and father, and they don't get it fully, and the rest of the world won't get it fully even till this day. But that's the blessing of Jesus, that he is our Savior. The struggle here in this moment as Simeon is excited, as he's thrilled, as he's praising God for staying truthful and, and faithful to, God's, to his own promise that he would not depart until he saw the consolation of Israel. There, there's, a, there's another side of the coin here in Simeon's celebration. He turns his attention to Mary and Joseph and he provides a blessing for them. But then he provides a warning because the salvation of all people comes at a cost. There's a high cost to salvation. And Simeon alludes to that in this moment as he declares that Mary will experience great grief. That that Jesus will endure great opposition. And that his life 
will be a life of division because he will speak the truth. He will speak the truth. And that will cause some to rise and some to fall. Not only will Jesus speak the truth, he is the truth. It's not a truth. He doesn't just talk about the truth. It's not his truth and then you've got your truth. No, Jesus is the truth. And we would add the way and the life and no one comes to the Father but through him. In this moment, Simeon acknowledges, alludes to, foreshadows the death of Christ and the heartache that Mary will face because that's how salvation comes, is through sacrifice, through the shedding of blood. And that will cause some to rise, some to embrace the truth of Christ, that he is the only way to salvation, and they will spend eternity with him. They will receive salvation. They will be consoled. There will others who reject him, who oppose him. And they will depart from him. And so in this moment, like old guys do sometimes, he shares a truth and it's not very politically correct. He, he shares a harsh reality that is true and that will happen. And Mary and Joseph don't quite understand what to do with this information. But we know the reality is that Jesus would go on to live a life of perfection, a life that we can't live. And then down the cross, to pay the penalty of our sin and then raise again on the third day, conquering sin and death. That's the consolation of Israel. That's the redemption that he offers us. That's the truth that he's sharing in this moment that creates division. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this like great moment of blessing and praise and honor, he like shifts gears and says, hey, this is going to be terrible. And then the conversation ends. It's a strange passage, a strange scene. Because then, as soon as he says this about, about Jesus and the opposition, many hearts will be revealed. And he ends, and then Luke, the writer of the book of Luke, talks about this lady Anna. It's a strange way to end the conversation, but that's it. This child that I hold in my hands will reveal the hearts of many. What a great truth that who we really are will be exposed through Jesus Christ. And then Luke turns his attention to this 84-year-old woman. At this difficult point in the conversation, in this scene, he talks about the prophetess Anna, who was married for seven years and her husband died, and then she devoted her life, the rest of her life, who knows, 20, 30, 40 years to serving, to worshiping, to praying, to giving her life to Jesus. And so while Simeon has grabbed the baby and is praising God and sharing hard truth, she's coming on the scene. And as she's coming on the scene, she recognizes, hey, something big is happening here. This is the Savior. This is the redemption of Israel who's come to Jerusalem, who is here. And so what does she do? She starts telling everybody she walks in front of about the glory of Jesus, about the power of redemption. 
about how he is the one who will come to rescue their people. And so as you and I think about this Christmas season, I want to encourage you, because this passage is about two senior adults. The older we get, the older we get, the more we should be declaring the more we should be telling, the more we should be shouting from the rooftop, the more awkward moments we should be creating, telling people that Jesus has come. The Savior is here. Salvation is available to all people. And let me tell you my story. The older we get, the more we should tell that story the more we should tell people that the Savior has come. The Redeemer is alive. The Messiah is here. And his name is Jesus. And so as we move into Christmas, I want to ask you a very simple question. Who will you tell that the Savior has come? Who will you tell that Jesus is Lord who will you tell that salvation has come? Who will you tell? Will you pray with me?